0: Section 3 of The Blue Behemoth by Lee Brackett. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Read by Chris Fong. We scattered, all of us, hunting for a way out. There was only one door leading to the back, and it was stoppered tight with men cursing and fighting to get through. Gao was crouched in a corner by the splintered wall. I pulled Bucky along thinking we might get in back of the Cansons and sneak out. I wondered what they wanted, and I wondered where in heck you could hide a thing as big as Gertrude and keep anybody from finding out. Somebody screamed briefly. I saw one of the strange Cansons toss the bartender aside like a dry twig. Gow rose up in front of me with a queer, staring look in his eyes. Something's wrong, he said. All wrong. I... His mouth twitched. He turned sharply and started to scramble through the wrecked hall. Bucky and I were right on his heels. I think Melak and some of his lobby gals were crowding us, but nobody was thinking about things like that anymore. I knew what was eating Gow. The fear that had looked out of Capper's eyes. The fear that was riding me. Fear that had nothing to do with anything physical. Bucky cursed and stumbled beside me, and suddenly the four Cansons let go a tremendous thundering scream. The hair rose on my neck, and I turned to look. I just had to. Gertrude had turned away from the booth. They stood, the four of them, their huge black shoulders touching, their crests like rows of petrified flame, staring at what Gertrude held in her arms. It was Capper's body. Slowly, with infinite gentleness, she began to strip him. He hung loose in the cradle of one great arm, his flesh showing blue-white against her blueness. Her free hand ripped his clothes away like things made of paper. I don't know why nobody tried to shoot the beasts after the first second. Sheer panic, I guess. We could have killed them all then, but we just stood looking, fascinated by the slow, intent bearing of Capper's body and the strange fear it was on us all. Capper lay naked in her black arms. She raised him slowly over her head, her eyes blind green fires deep under bony brows. The others drew closer, shivering, and I could hear them whimper. Strangers from the deep swamps with no stink of man on them. I thought of the Nahali woman laughing in the hot rain. Death from the deep swamps, because something had been taken, and they were angry. There was a little black box strapped to Capper's thin white belly. Gertrude shifted her hands a little. The blood hammered in my ears. I was sick. I didn't want to look anymore. I couldn't help it. Bucky Shannon caught a hard, sobbing breath. Gertrude broke Sam Capper's body in two. I can still hear the noise it made. The blood ran dark and sluggish down her arms. It worried me that Capper's face didn't change expression. The little black box on his belly split with the rest of him. Something rose out of it. Something no bigger than my forefinger that carried a cold green blaze around it like a ball of St. Elmo's fire. Gertrude threw Capper away. I heard the two flopping thuds of him hitting the floor. Some guy was down to his knees close to me. His lips moved. I don't know if he could remember his prayers. Something else was vomiting, hard. I wanted to, but my stomach felt frozen. The cold green fire had a shape inside it. I couldn't make it out clearly except that it looked horribly human. It put out four thin green filaments. Don't ask me if they were physical things like tentacles, or just beams of light, or maybe thought. I don't know. Whatever they were, they worked. They connected with the four black, snaky heads of the female Kansans. I felt the shock of them connecting with my own nerves and it was like something had welded those four brutes together into one. They had been four, separate, with hard outlines. Now they were one, one single interlocking entity. I guess it was just my being so scared and sick, but I thought I saw their outlines blur a little. Gow spoke suddenly. His voice was pretty loud and calm. That was it, he said as though it was the only thing in the world that mattered. They ain't complete by themselves. Like the Zurats back home on Mercury. They got a community brain. No wonder Gertrude was lonesome. His voice broke the spell. Somebody screamed, and everybody started to move at once, clawing in blind panic for the openings. And we all knew, then, what we were afraid of we were afraid of the little thing in the black box, the thing in a cloak of fire that had risen from the ruins of Capper's body, and the power that lived in it. I suppose we thought we were going to fight it all right, but outside, where we could breathe, not in here, with the hugeness of the female smothering us, penned in with the last male Canson in creation. I knew then why Capper had broken, and why he hadn't told in spite of the Selak. The thing hadn't let him, and it had called to its kind from the deep swamps and Buckhalter Shannon's Imperial Circus. The deep indigo night of Venus had settled down in the smell of mud and jungle and the hot rain. Lights flared crazily here and there out of open doorways. People were yelling, the tight animal mob yell of fear. There was no place to run in Nauru. The jungle held it, the thick green jungle built on quicksand and crawling with death. Behind us, the four Kansans raised a wild whistling screech. It was answered out of the hot night between the little shacks of Naru. brute voices singing their hate. Suddenly, I remembered what Gao had said. She busted a lot of cages. God knew what was loose in that town. Bucky Shannon spoke beside me. We were still running, slipping, and floundering in the mud, making toward the ship with sheer instinct. He gasped, We got to get those babies rounded up! Gao! Gao, you hear me? We got to get them back! Gao's voice came sullenly. I hear you, boss. We slowed down. It was suddenly important to hear what more Gao had to say. Don't you get it? he asked slowly. Gertrude led him out. She wanted him. To help her. They know it. They ain't going back. Somewhere behind us, a plastic shack cracked open like an eggshell. Human cries were drowned in a whistling screech. Off to the right, the Mercurian cave cat began to laugh like a crazy woman. Slow, patient animal hate walled around them, waiting the feel and smell of hate in the brute tank. I could feel and smell it now, in Naru, only it wasn't patient and waiting anymore. The time it had waited for was here. Gertrude had set it free. Shannon said, very softly, Mother, oh God, what are we going to do? Get back to the ship. Get back and get out of here. I jumped. It was Melak's voice. Sounding hard and ugly, light spilling out of a sagging door made a faint silhouette of him in the rain. He held a blaster in his hand. Shannon snarled. Take off with half my gang stranded here? You go to hell! Rockets blasted suddenly out on the landing field. Somebody had made it to Beamish's yacht and gone. The runabout followed it. The circus ship was still there, and the only one in Nauru. I said, we can't go, not with a couple hundred credits worth of animals running loose in the town.
1: Get onto the
0: ship, said Melak. Cripes! If I knew how to fly, I'd leave you here. Now move! Shannon was almost crying. He started to rush Melak. I caught him and said, sure, sure, we'll move. All of us. Look behind you! I was weaned on that one. Move! Well... It was his funeral. It was almost ours, too. Ganymedean puffballs moved fast. They had come out from between two shacks, skimming over the mud on their long white cilia. There were three of them, rolled up in balls about the size of my head. They didn't make any noise. They came up behind Melak. Two of them unrolled suddenly, whipping out into lean, fuzzy ropes about five feet long. They went around the Martian breed. The third one came straight at me. Melak made a noise that wasn't human and went down. The puffballs tightened around him, pulsing a little with the pleasure of digestion. Gao was on the other side of Melak, too far away and unarmed. I jumped, and the mud tripped me. Shannon fell the other way. The puffball, strung out now like a fuzzy snake, Paused a moment, not three inches from my face. I lay still on my belly, choking on my heart. Shannon moved, and it whipped down across his legs. He screamed. I could feel the poison from the thing eating into him. I got to my knees, and he cursed me and raised something out of the mud. It was Melak's blaster. He fired between his feet. The puffball shriveled to a little stinking wire and dropped away. Bucky said evenly, That pays me off. Now it's all your party, Jig. He fainted. His legs were already swelling. Gal bent over him. He's gotta have the croaker, quick. You take him to the ship, Gal, if you can get there. Me? I'm the zoo man. I oughta... Do I look like Superman to carry that big lug? I didn't know why it was so hard to talk. Get him there, then round up everybody left at the ship. Get guns and ropes and torches and come back, quick! He nodded and got Bucky across his shoulders. I gave him the blaster. Then I turned back. I knew where most of the circus gang would be, spread out among the bars. It was a lot darker, because now all the doors were closed, except two or three where the people hadn't lived to close them. It was quieter, too, because there's a limit to the noise a human throat can make. There was just the hot rain and the soft jungle undertone of things padding and slithering in the mud, hunting. Up the street somewhere, the Canson screamed, and another shack split open. Instantly, the brute clamor went up from the dark alleys, answering, Animal legions from five different planets, led by a tiny creature in a cloak of green fire. And man was the common enemy. A pair of Martian sand tigers shot out into the street ahead of me. They were frolicking like kittens, playing with something dark and tattered. Then they saw me and dropped it and came sliding on their bellies, their six powerful legs sucking in the mud. There was no place to go. I don't remember being particularly scared, but that wasn't because I was brave. It was sheer exhaustion. A guy can only take so much. Now I was just walking around, seeing and hearing, but not feeling anything inside, like a guy that's coked to the ears, or punchy from a beating. I picked up a double handful of mud and slung it in their snarling pusses and threw my head back and yelled, Hey, Rube! A door at my left opened three inches, daggering the rain with yellow light. A voice said, For God's sakes, get in here! I picked up another handful of mud. The Martian cats were pawing the last load out of their eyes. I gave them more to play with. I guessed they weren't very hungry just then. I said, I'm going to get the cansons, Just like that. I told you, I was out of my feet. Clean nuts. The guy in the doorway thought so too. Will you come in before you're too dead? And wait around for those big apes to crack the house open over my head? The hell with that! More mud splashed in the cat's faces. They were beginning to get sore. The rest of the critters are just following the Cansons. Sort of a mopping up brigade. Stop the Cansons, and we can round up the others easy. Oh, sure, said the man. Any time before breakfast. Are you coming, pal, or do I shut this door again? I don't know how it would have turned out. Probably I'd have wound up inside the cat's but one of them let out a shrill, nasty wail, the kind they give the trainer when they're challenging him to a finish fight and somebody came shouldering out past the man in the doorway. The door swung wide so that there was plenty of light. The six-inch fangs on the Martian kitties were a beautiful shining white. The newcomer said something to the cats in a level undertone and came to me. It was Jaren, the titan, who works the cats. He's about half my height, metallic green in color, and faster on his feet than a rummy grabbing the first drink. He looks like a walking barrel when he's folded up, and like nothing on earth when he isn't. He was unfolded then. He went up to the cats, light and dainty in the mud. They were crouching uneasily, coughing and snarling, wanting to rush him and not quite daring to. The male sprang. End of section 3